Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to season number three, where in this season, we are going to talk about all things math. As both a student and as a teacher, I have always loved math. Um, I think as a student, I was just naturally good at it. My mind is a little more mathematical um, and, and it just came very easy to me. And as a teacher, I loved it because I thought it was easier to pinpoint areas of difficulty, to create a routine or create some structure around some of the big things that kids needed to work on. And it was something that often, um, yes, some students have disabilities in the area of math. Yes, there are weaknesses that transfer from say a reading disability over to math, um, or maybe even not a reading disability, but maybe a cognitive or intellectual disability. Some of those things obviously impact math, but overall, I felt like I could do something and I could help because math was so concrete and math was so structured and and it was easy to practice. So that being said, I love all things math, but this season is going to be a little bit different. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I don't want to just tell you, um, these are the skills that you need to teach this is what I do all day, every day. This is how I approach, you know, X, Y, and Z. That would be helpful, but I think that's more of a blog post or that's more of something that we could do in a Facebook Live where I could share some of what I do and show you some of what I do. And as I was reading, I really became fascinated and I hinted to this a little bit at the tail end of season two um, about just different difficulties or, or, you know, if you struggle with working memory, what does that mean in the area of math? If you struggle with your visual spatial, what does that mean? How is that going to impact math? And so, yes, I'm going to talk about some of the routines and some of the things that we need to do, but overall, a big part of this season will just kind of be relating how different areas of our learning are going to impact math. So I do think this season might be a little bit different. It might be a little bit heavy. I'm going to try to um, explain it as best I can and share some strategies and some things that we could do so that it is less heavy. But I do think that it is somewhat of a big topic or um, things that we're probably seeing our kids struggle with and we may not know why or we may not know how to help them. Um, but know that like, hey, this this can be part of their disability. Or yes, they, they're LD and reading is their area of weakness, but this area of math might also be impacted. And so with all of that being said, in this episode, we are going to talk about seven reasons why students might have difficulty in math. 
And I am just using the broad term or the broad word students. I'm not picking a specific disability. I'm not saying students with learning disabilities, students with intellectual disabilities or autism or ADHD. I'm not being specific because as you're going to find out later in the season, I'm going to talk about different aspects of learning and that could be a strength for one student with LD and a weakness for another student with LD. That could be a strength for somebody with a cognitive disability and a weakness for somebody else with a cognitive disability. So um, I don't wanna get specific. Kids with autism have strengths and weaknesses. ADHD, strengths and weaknesses. So I don't wanna focus in on these are kids with dyslexia. These are kids with you know intellectual disabilities. It's broad, okay? What might cause someone to struggle in the area of math, whether we're talking students, adults, gen ed, special ed, why might you struggle? And so all of that being said, I'm gonna start with our very first reason, which is the fear of math. And as a special ed teacher, I feel like I can solve this reason um, in a much easier or better way than maybe somebody teaching gen ed, um, because naturally our jobs are to be kind of that safety net. We provide a safe place for our kids to practice and learn and have things retaught as many times as needed. Um, if it's in our room, if we're pushing in, then we can also kind of be that savior who, oh my gosh, this is so hard, but she'll help me. She'll read it to me. She'll give me examples. She's going to have manipulatives in her bag to help whatever might be needed. We can kind of be a little bit of that saving grace when it comes to, oh my gosh, I have to do math. This intimidates me. That scares me. So the fear of math, I think, is a big, big reason. Maybe some of the other reasons that I'm going to share and discuss in a minute could be feeding to this fear. But I think as a special ed teacher, we have a very wonderful opportunity to help kids get over that fear of math or minimize that, learn to cope with that, um, whatever kind of situation or description there is, is best fitting. But I think that a fear of math is real. That anxiety of like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is new. But in reality, we as adults know, hey, math is step by step by step. If you can do this problem, then you can do this one and this one and this one because they're exactly the same. But if you have a fear of math, you're not seeing any of that. You're seeing a page full of problems that all look intimidating. A page full of problems that are a page full of problems that are just playing on so many of your weaknesses. So reason number one is that fear or anxiety around math, and we don't have a magic wand to get rid of it, but over time, I do think we can help calm them a little bit by giving them a safe place and offering help. And so now that we have an environment where kids are ready to learn and we know what they need and we have the visuals, the manipulatives, the help, the support, everything is kind of right in place so that we can get over that fear of math, then it's time to start looking at some of the other reasons, some of the, what I would say are more big mama reasons why they might be struggling. And one reason that I think we often overlook and some of that I think is because of the rush, rush, rush. We've got to learn more, do it faster, do it better, show it in five ways. You know, all of the things we get in such a rush that we forget where the student's actual readiness is. What are they ready for? 
And so I want you to think a little bit about their chronological age versus their mental age. For example, I am 33 years old and hopefully my mental age matches my chronological age. Hopefully I'm 33 and I act like I'm 33. Hopefully I do things and I am able to um, kind of organize my children and myself and my job and all of the things in a way that a 33-year-old should or would. However, we know that some adults who are 33 and maybe have intellectual disabilities may not be thinking like a 33-year-old person. They might still be thinking like a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old. So sometimes that chronological age does not always match their mental age. So keeping that in mind, as an adult, it's very clear, it's very obvious. But sometimes we forget that when we're thinking about a first grader who is really, really struggling to understand addition and subtraction. And if we were to sit and say, hey, could you count these objects? That would be hard for them because even their mental age is not quite where other first graders are, other six and seven year olds. So we really have to be mindful of a child's readiness. And actually I had written down their lack of readiness as one of the reasons. And I felt like that sounded very negative. If you're not ready, you're not ready. And that is usually not their fault. Um, but think about that mental age and their chronological age. I have a third grader that comes to mind. And this little guy had worn his jacket to my small group and then realized it was pretty warm in my room. He didn't need his jacket. So he takes it off. He hangs it on the chair next to him. And the next thing I know, he's moving the arm of the jacket up to the desk like it's writing and he props a little pencil up by it and the arm which is empty of the jacket is now holding a pencil and then he props the other arm up there and he puts a marker in that hand and you know his imaginary little person next to him was participating in the group and then he got after me because I did not call on that jacket to read when we were taking turns and he was very much in a childlike, you know, imaginary friend. He's here. He's joining us for our group mentality. And that to me was a perfect example of his cognitive age does not match his mental age. What he's doing, that's something that a little kid might do, which is fine. And I found it very cute and entertaining. But when I'm saying that that is something that's typical, that's not typical of other third graders late in the year who are soon to be fourth graders. The same is true, you know, that's easy to spot, but the same is true when we're talking about academics. Would we ask a first grader to go get the fifth grade math book and just start knocking out those problems? Of course we wouldn't. But sometimes when we're thinking about our students with disabilities, yes, they might be a fifth grader, or yes, they might be a third grader, but that does not mean that that is where their mental age or their mental readiness is. And we have to first build some of those other skills before we're going to be mentally ready to begin working on these more difficult skills. So I encourage you as you're kind of building that safe environment for kids to work and flourish, consider, yes, they might be nine years old or yes, they might be in third grade, but but that doesn't tell me anything about where their mental readiness and their mental age might be. Think of how much somebody grows 
from say being three years old to going to kindergarten. A big difference. Honestly, every year at that age or in those elementary years, it's a big difference in what you do in first grade from what you do in second grade. And for our average learners, that's okay. They're ready for that. However, some of our kids with disabilities are not. Their mental age is not growing one, one year at a time. It takes a little bit longer. And that's okay as long as we're aware of that. So keep in mind that just readiness and where are they? Because that could be one reason why they're struggling to keep up. All right, reason number three is like we're towing on the deep end here, okay? We're about to dive deep. And so I don't want it to be overwhelming, but I do want to say before I even start talking that I am going to dive deep into these perceptual deficits in later episodes. So if right now you're like, hmm, I'm intrigued. That sounds nice. Okay, good. I'm glad. But I'm not ready to like fully jump into the deep end, okay? So reason number three that students could be struggling with math is because of a visual perceptual deficit. So what the heck does that mean? Well, a visual perceptual deficit is something that if you have students who are identified, you might be able to see their scores on their psychological report. You might be able to see how are their visual skills, their visual perceptual skills, how do they match up compared to same age peers? So you might easily be able to see that weakness just on paper, you know, start to see, oh, they might struggle in this area. But for some of us, especially our little ones, we may not have a psych report yet. We might be doing some RTI. We might be bringing them into our group um, just kind of informally. We might have teachers who are bringing them to RTI and want to discuss some of these things, these weaknesses that they're seeing. And so visual perceptual difficulties might look like writing numbers backwards. It could be um, not seeing that four lines make a square or three lines make a triangle. It just, what seems maybe so simple and concrete to us is not because visually they're not seeing what we're seeing or they're not processing that information in the same way. The same is true of kids who struggle with one-to-one correspondence. They're not seeing, I need to physically move these or tap these in order to get the right answer. In my mind, this is something that kids either do naturally, like they've got it, or they don't got it, and they need some help and instruction. Um, I have one student in mind that she, it's like her brain and her finger or the speed in which she counts and the pace of her finger just don't match up and visual weaknesses, I mean, across the board for her. And so with her, it is like a rule that when you count, you pick those babies up. I don't care for counting erasers. I don't care for counting Fruit Loops. You pick them up and you move them. Even for her, we've been using a post-it note and we stick that post-it note on the table and everything is out of it. And then we move the counters inside. If we're working more on paper, we use a marker and we mark through it. One, two, three and mark through every time we say something because visually she is going to get lost in where all of those things are. What have I counted? What have I not counted? Or somebody who has a strength in that might be able to mentally be able to see, okay, I'm moving. Yes, these aren't perfectly straight lines or columns or rows, but I'm moving across one, two, three, four, and they can kind of count as they go. But somebody with a visual perception difficulty would really, really struggle in this area. Um, Also, even just seeing this is a group. 
This is a set. Think of like maybe an array or think of comparing numbers. Here are three objects. Here are five objects and they're in two different groups, which is bigger. Well, that student might struggle to even see things as a group. Think of upper level math and when we're talking about creating equal groups. Think of just counting objects or a 10 frame. All of those things might be especially difficult for a student with visual perceptual difficulties. These are also students that we would more than likely say are sloppy. Um, think of doing two or three digit addition and subtraction with regrouping and none of the numbers are lined up. Everything is here and there and you don't know what's in the tens column and what's in the ones column and how are you going to borrow if this is over here and, and it just gets so confusing so fast. And we would probably say to them, you need to line these numbers up. Come on, you know, be a little neater. And we would be hard on them for those things. But this is that visual perceptual difficulty coming into play here. It is hard for them to physically line up those numbers. We could use graph paper, we could use line paper turned sideways, and they might help, but that difficulty is still going to be there. And it's something that needs to be practiced. And maybe even sometimes we just practice lining up numbers. Maybe it's not that we are writing it and then spending five minutes to solve it. Maybe we just need to practice writing and lining up numbers because that is definitely an area of weakness for some of these students. Reason number four is very similar, and that is poor spatial sense. And so a lot of times on a psych report, you might see visual spatial. So sometimes these are lumped together. So it might be hard to pinpoint, or you might see that they struggle in both of these areas. Um, but these students would be um, ones who might struggle with, put this number under, this goes over, draw a line, under this sentence or which has more, which has less. And this is something that in time, I think they can learn some of those words and figure out what you're wanting. But to just say, okay, guys, put a line under this or I need you to write this number underneath, that's going to be hard. And when we just buzz right through it, they don't ever get time to practice that. And so their gap or their difficulty only becomes greater while their peers are moving on to other things. So I think it's very important to really take time to practice those. Or if you're seeing a weakness, maybe also related to that visual side of things, take time, slow down and practice that so that then you're not leaving them in the dust and you're practicing that subtraction with regrouping and they're still trying to figure out where the heck you want the number written down and they've not actually practiced the problem. They're stressing about, well, what does she mean under or over? Or where do I put this? Or it's not lined up correctly. Some of those types of things. So visual, spatial kind of, they go together. Um, but that could be one area of weakness in and of itself. It's just understanding that more and less over, under some of those skills. So give them time to practice. And if the second you see that that might be an issue, slow it down, help and assist so that they're not missing out on the math skill because of the visual spatial aspect of it, if that makes sense. Sometimes we get so focused on math, 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 we've got to do that. Well, if you don't have these other skills, the math is nothing. We can't do that without some of these other things in place. 
Reason number five is probably the most easy to identify, and that is poor memory. So a lot of times as teachers, that stands out. That's easy to see like, whoa, everybody else is starting to get their math facts. He's not. Everybody else has been studying these flashcards. They're on set five. He's still on set one. It's most easy to identify when we're seeing that. And so they might need some aids and some tools and some supports to help them um, so that they can still do some of those other math, math skills. For example, I use a hundreds chart a lot because my kids are capable of following the steps for addition and subtraction with regrouping, but they don't know all of the facts yet. And they could use their fingers, but sometimes we run out of fingers and we have answers like 13 or 17 and we don't have that many fingers. So a hundreds chart is nice to have. So some of our kids will master those math facts and that's a strength. But for others, memory is a really, really big area of difficulty for them. And it's something that they need our support to get through. Like I said earlier, I will be diving into this a little more deeply in a later episode, but I did want to add this to the list of possible reasons why students might be struggling in math. It's not just math facts. It's also the steps in which we do things, remembering formulas, being able to remember some of those like keywords. Okay, it said all together. Okay, well, that probably means I'm going to add some of those things that are just tricks or things that we're just like, oh, yeah, that's why we do whatever. Those would be hard for them. So um, memory is definitely a big, big thing that could be impacting somebody's ability to do math. And they're going to need help and support. On the flip side of that, Sometimes we see students struggling in some areas, like I'm thinking that visual perceptual area, and they can't line things up. But if you orally were to say, what's six plus four, they'd be able to spit out the answer right away. What's 10 plus nine, spit out the answer right away. Nine plus three, spit out the answer right away. Because their memory is so strong, they're good at that. So to me, this is one of those things, that strength or that weakness stands out like a sore thumb. Either it's great or it's not, and you as a teacher know, hey, he, he does a great job with this, or whew, we need to work on those math facts. Next up, we have critical thinking skills. And by critical thinking skills, I don't want you to think word problems. Oh, word problems and math. That has to be what she means. Uh, maybe a little bit, but not entirely. So critical thinking skills, I feel like really show themselves or say the lack of critical thinking skills really show themselves more in upper elementary when we get into more difficult things. But that doesn't mean that we don't still see it in some of our younger kids. But critical thinking skills in the area of math might be, I just added these two numbers together. And let's just say I added 500 plus 20. And I have an answer of 700 because I did not line my numbers up correctly. And so I don't even see that, oh, 500 plus only 20, that would never be 700. That, that doesn't make any sense. That is a critical thinking skill. Seeing that this doesn't quite match this, that doesn't make sense. However, we might have another student who might make an, you know, make a mistake and they get 527 and they do have critical thinking skills. And so they're looking and they're like, oh, that looks correct. That looks fine because 
it is pretty close. 520, 527. Okay, they made a mistake somewhere. Oh, a better answer would have been 526, and maybe they just couldn't read one of their zeros. And so overall, that answer was pretty close to the actual answer. Their critical thinking skills told them that that made sense. However, someone without those critical thinking skills would really struggle to make sense of those things. Are we going to see it when they start solving word problems? Absolutely, because we're going to see that they gave away 15, but somehow our answer got bigger. And they are not gonna see our answer shouldn't be getting bigger because we gave some away. So some of those critical thinking skills, no matter how hard or how simple that problem is, will be hard for our kids because that just, does this make sense, doesn't always add up. Think of applying new things to like fractions or decimals, some of those upper elementary concepts that we think, oh, it's so easy, it's divided into quarters or, or whatever, something that is simple may not be so simple when your critical thinking skills are weak. And last but not least, another reason why students might struggle is that they lack efficiency when it's time to do math. So they might have math facts memorized. They might be a good reader. They might have good critical thinking skills. They might visually be able to write everything down just like they're supposed to and make sense of is this more or less or here or there, what am I doing? But they lack just an efficient way to arrive at the answer. And so I have an example of this. Um, we were taking iLearn last week and doing math. And I had a student who, um, he's sitting there just staring at this problem. He's asked it, the computer to read to him multiple times. He's read it. He's scribbled all kinds of stuff on his paper. I have no clue what he's doing here. And I just want him to get the answer 100. 100. Come on, buddy. You 100. You could make it up and you might even get it right. And so um, he has to key in an answer. So it's not even like multiple choice where I could say, well, bud, just pick one. You've tried really hard. What answer closely matches something? You know, I can't say anything. It's an open-ended math problem. And so he works and he works and he has to read it again. And he's just, you know, it breaks your heart to watch him. And you think he's never going to get this. You want to just be like, put in seven or, you know, you just want to tell him pick something and put it in. And so lo and behold, after about 20 minutes, he says, I think it's 100. And I'm like, well, I think you have worked really hard. And that sounds like a great answer to put in. Go ahead. Inside, I'm like, sweet Jesus, how the heck did you get 100? But good for you. You just got that right. It took you 20 minutes, but you got it right. And so he is a student who Yes, he can do the computation for addition or subtraction or whatever it is. Yes, he can do all of these things. However, it took him so long to get there. So to me, that's better than nothing. That's better than lacking all of these skills. However, do we think that when we have, say, 40 plus problems on a high stakes test or you have 30 minutes to do a math test and yeah maybe I give you some extra time because you take it in a small group but do we think that he can really spend 20 minutes on every problem that he ever does no we have to give them an efficient way or help them kind of discover an efficient way to complete some of those problems because no one including myself has the mental stamina to sit and solve 
40 plus problems when each of them take me 15 to 20 minutes. That's not doable and that's not realistic. And honestly, it sounds like pure torture for the student. So efficiency is also a big factor. And when we're talking about the fear of math or math anxiety, wouldn't that make you anxious to think, man, I, I think I'm good at math, but it takes me so long to do it. Or I think, I, you know, why is it that I'm so good at this, but this is hard? That would be incredibly frustrating and would just bring like, oh, math, I have to take a math test. It's going to take me three hours. No child deserves to feel that way. And so it's our job to help with some of that anxiety, to help with some of that fear by making them or helping them be a little more efficient. And for him, now that I know he can do that, to me, let's say he was taking a test over that same skill, he doesn't need to do five problems. Two would be more than enough and is going to take the same amount of time that it might take somebody else to do all five problems. So we have to help them become more efficient before they come too frustrated. And he has actually later done surprisingly well, but I'll tell you, number two is the exact same thing. He sits, he looks, he has it read to him over and over and over again. And in the end, I'm thinking, oh man, surely, are we going to get this one right? Like, surely that first one was a fluke. He got it right. He knew exactly what to do. It just took him such a long time to get there. So part of that is exciting. And part of that is like, oh boy, we have to do something to help him become more efficient. All right. Our first episode of math is finished. And so I want to kind of run through what those reasons are, why students might struggle with math. So they might have a fear of math. Their math readiness might not match where some of their same age peers are. Sometimes we have to think about that mental age versus chronological age. Think about their visual perceptual deficits or visual perceptual skills. Are they lacking some of those things that other students have or that just come so naturally? Um, kind of going along with that, their spatial, um, their spatial skills and that type of organization. Are they able to do some of those visual spatial things? And look at their psych report if they are identified. You might be able to see, oh, yeah, that was an area of weakness. Or, nope, that's not it. This is not the reason why they're struggling. They have great visual spatial skills. It must be something else. Um, going along with that poor memory, that is often something that working memory is assessed whenever they're identified. So you might be able to easily see like great memory skills, poor visual spatial or great visual spatial, poor memory skills. So take a look at that psych report. Um, they also might lack critical thinking skills, just seeing, does this make sense? Does that make sense? How can I draw this conclusion or that conclusion? And some of those thinking skills might just be something that is hard for them or might be that they have a lower mental age. They're just not ready for some of those critical thinking skills. And last but not least, just having an efficient way to do math, an efficient way to get to the right answer where we're not spending tons and tons of time completing some of those tasks. So as I teased earlier, we're going to talk about a lot of things. This might be the longest season so far of the podcast. And um, a big chunk of it, we'll be talking about a lot of those perceptual areas and students who struggle in specific areas. What does that mean for you as a teacher? What does that mean for them as a student? And how can we help them be successful despite some of those problematic areas? 
So I will see you in the next episode. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.